As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Okay, so we want to welcome everyone to this conversation. We're very thankful to have both Priya Klosik and Eugene Partridge to join us for today's conversation. Eugene is the Director and Head of Procurement Operations for Paycor, a payroll processing and HR tech organization. And Priya is the President and CEO of Consultant on the Go, as well as a faculty member of the Talent Magnet Institute. Priya and Eugene, thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. Well, we're very excited to have a conversation. As we've been saying, just creating the opportunity to open up conversations about, let's say, whatever topic it is, is a good process to move us all forward. So what we're discussing today is specifically diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how these topics during a time like this can propel themselves into the future and create and start the dialogue right? Start the conversation is some of the best blessings that we can all bring to those in our community. So thank you both for being so open to having this conversation and uh, for all of the planning and preparation that's gone into it. I'm very thankful. So I'd love to hear your perspectives. I know from the media, from the newspapers, from the digital, all of the conversations, social media, what can we be learning about DEI during this time? I'd love both of your perspectives and that particular question. Eugene, you want to kick us off? Sure, sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having us on. I think this is great, especially with all the things that are going on, all the content that's being you know, put out in the ether. It's good to continue this type of a conversation. It's very important. You mentioned, you know, kind of, you know, what's our perspective on what's going on? you know, in the world in regards to this topic. And I can speak to that just from, I am, of course, clearly an African-American male. And I've been seeing lately some of the statistics coming out that are saying that COVID-19 is, I think the death toll has hit minorities, like a third of minorities have passed as a part of this, which, of course, given the you know percentage of population that we are, minorities are, Seeing that happen, that many individuals being affected, shows me that there is some sort of disproportionate, and I don't, I don't want to blame the healthcare systems or whatnot, we want to get into that conversation, but it seems to be some sort of disproportionate care that's going on that's causing individuals in those minority groups to be affected a little bit more. And so my ears have perked up, starting to understand, okay, how is that affecting folks, even down to the way schooling is being done right now. Individuals that are in schools that don't have as much resources. I've been reading articles saying that folks are not getting the proper learning and education that they need. And so there is something that we need to be keen to as leaders in the business world to understand, okay, how is this 
this situation? How is this pandemic going to affect us in the future? And it's not just touching business, but it's also touching education. It's touching communities. And I think there's a deeper conversation that we need to have about it. So I've been paying very close attention, educating myself on what's going on. And from my perspective, I think there's a lot of things that we can do as business leaders to really expand that conversation, to really lean into the conversation. So I'm glad we're actually doing this today to kind of start down that path. Yeah. Well said, Eugene. I'll echo a couple things, but maybe add a little different perspective. As a woman, and also part of the underrepresented group or a minority being an immigrant, it's been interesting because, you know, we keep hearing that COVID-19 doesn't discriminate, right? We can all catch it. It doesn't matter what age you are, doesn't matter your race. But I think what this environment is highlighting, it's not impacting us all the same, right? To Eugene's point, as look at the disparities, you know, and for me personally, by the way, what's been fascinating is just through the lenses of gender, right? As a business owner and as a woman and as a mom, it's been a fascinating social experiment because just seeing how it's impacting me and then trying to see how it's then trickling into our community as we look at different socioeconomic statuses, we look at specifically gender, and we're seeing how the numbers are skewed between men and women, that's kind of what's grabbing my attention, right? So in our household, my husband works for a essential, is part of an essential supply chain. So he goes to work every single day, right? So everything that happens, that has happened in the last eight weeks has been my leading it in the house while leading the business, right? And so it's been an interesting dichotomy because again, as I look at my story, I am you know, very aware of the fact that we have leaders, right, Mike, as we are talking to individuals that are also dealing with this, whether it's leaders in Fortune 500 companies or leaders working for nonprofits, men and women even just are experiencing this very differently. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's great to have all of that conversation, right, that just to get it out and share what's taking place. And we keep saying, like, Now's a time where we're also dealing with this whole dichotomy of working remotely and not working remotely. I know I've had clients of mine and ours at the Talent Magnet Institute and Centennial ask questions like, Mike, I didn't even have any idea how many of my team members didn't have home offices, right? right. Then you throw in the fact that they might have one to three or more children. And if they happen to be school age, Certain schools are still requiring the students to log in a certain amount of times and they're working from home. And if they're a single parent or they're a dual working parent, I mean, the complexities are so unique that it's like, you know, I'm not hearing a lot of conversation about that. And I think that's some of the articles that will be written after the fact, right? Like, here are all these incredible learnings. We keep calling employers. Like, it's okay to know that. So now if we're stuck in this space for the next five months, you better start asking questions about people's home life and how you can support them, right? And learnings there. Eugene, the conversation around, I've seen a lot of really staggering statistics on the death toll that are hitting the African-American community. I sit on the African-American chamber board. We had a board meeting just this morning and talking about like, using this time to educate employers more about what this means to support 
African-American populations, Asian populations, European populations, just individuals in this space that may not have the resources and how some employers, why not? What are we missing here? You know, it opens up the conversation to say, what is wrong with this picture, Mm -hmm. right? Why is this taking place? How can we be more supportive? Do you have any insights there and research that you might want to share with our audience? Yeah. So it's interesting that you bring this up. I was actually watching a couple of weeks ago, a special on BET. It was a a special with Facebook and BET where they were talking about how the education system just assumed that if they give work from home packets or homework or whatnot to kids, that everybody would have the ability to log in. I think it was in New York. I don't want to get the stats wrong, but I understood that it was about maybe 70 some odd percent, maybe 72 percent of inner city school kids did not have access to Internet. And so I'm very vocal on social media, so I voice those types of concerns. And I got pushback from educators that were suggesting uh, that, no, they have work from home access or we sent packets home to them. Not understanding that not all parents are at home are able to teach. Like there's a reason why folks go to school to learn how to be educators. So it's funny you mentioned the dichotomy of working from home and having children. I have three daughters. Before this started, I asked them to come downstairs and get a snack and then go in the furthest bedroom and shut the door. (laughs) So my wife is currently working downstairs. And she's become the educator while she's working from home because she's just good at that. And we are a family that's all about education. And so the development of our children, it didn't just start when COVID-19 came. You know, we do that every night. Well, what happens when you have homes where you have parents that are essential workers and they are at work and their kids are not being able to be educated in such at home. And so a lot of that is happening, especially in the African-American community. We are overpopulated in service type jobs. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, a lot of African-Americans are in the essential worker category or they're trying to work through that situation. And so unfortunately, those kids are being affected by that. And they're saying that the wealth and education gap will explode because of COVID-19. And I have a very serious concern about that. So I've started to do some research and get in and have some conversations about that. But this is a real thing. This is a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Priya, talk about the dynamics and learnings that you're having. What are you hearing from clients and friends and colleagues that are wrestling? What are some of the additional challenges that you feel aren't being discussed enough that need to be elevated during this time? And what would you add there? And again, Eugene, I so appreciate you sharing your perspective because, you know, what that really highlights is the word that most of us don't like to hear in the world is privilege, Mm -hmm. right? We're not recognizing the privileges that some of us take for granted, Mm -hmm. right? The internet access, the fact that I can homeschool my child and try to run a business in this environment and put food on the table Mm -hmm. uh, or not go grocery shopping every week and push it out to 10 days so I have limited exposure. Not everyone has that privilege. Mm -hmm. And I think, Mike, to your point, I think that 
is something that I'm not hearing a lot of. You know, folks that are talking about it is kind of happening behind closed doors and or when we have the opportunity of having these type of conversations. But it's not something that's coming up in the media. It's not coming up on social media where we're willing to openly say, you know what? I am privileged because I can go grocery shopping and get enough supplies for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can pay for it without worrying about my benefits. I happened to go grocery shopping on Friday and both of you might appreciate this. I walk in and in my mind, I'm like, why is it so busy today? Cause I always go on a weekday when it's not supposed to be busy. Yeah. It was May 1st, mm-hmm. right? Vicka benefits came in. People mm-hmm. were standing in line to cash things. And I kid you not, even while I'm sharing this with you, I have goosebumps because I felt my privilege, Mm. right? For me, it was convenience, but for others there, and when I looked at the lines and I looked around me, there were people from a lot of underprivileged, underrepresented, marginalized groups, and all dimensions of diversity, by the way, whether it's individuals in wheelchair. I saw an individual in a wheelchair the other day at the bank. Mm-hmm. And it broke my heart because there were cars lined up behind this individual. But I'm thinking, well, the bank is closed. You're right. What are you going to do? Right? You, you don't have a car. You're on a wheelchair. So again, Mike, to your point, and kind of not go too far off the deep end, I think in this moment of time, there's an opportunity for us to recognize what our privileges are, really. And not to be snarky or to be arrogant, but to just say, you know what? These are the things that I'm grateful for that I can do today across whatever dimension of diversity that might be. I'm an able body. I'm socioeconomically not the top 1%, but I'm okay. How do we then recognize that with all the layers of diversity that come into play? And a lot of these conversations, as I said, are happening behind the scenes, right? Just like I joked about the woman example, the gender example, you know, you should, some of the chats I'm on, we should see the conversation around women going, oh my God, I get it. I'm doing the same thing, right? Like I'm feeling mm-hmm. it, I'm carrying the burden. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. And as you mentioned, you both kind of just shared around the dynamic of if you have one parent at home or two parents at home or grandparents that are, happen to be essential and there's mm-hmm. no childcare and there's no school, where do these children go, right? And the impact that has and the pain and the struggle that that brings to the adults, right? These unique times, unique experiences like this really do highlight what, to be frank, sometimes happens all the time, right? So it gives us an opportunity to see those circumstances and to go, wow, I never went grocery shopping on a two o'clock on a Tuesday and I didn't these types of things to think through. In terms of organizations, let's take a, I think it would be valuable to share some learning lessons of Mm -hmm. organizations had to pivot some completely overnight, right? Mm -hmm. And decisions that are like, well, we're not going to do that. You now don't have a choice. You're either, is your business on or is your business off? If it's on, you do this. If it's off, go ahead and follow those past belief systems, right? I think there's a lot of learning here for us to talk about because so many of these systematic problems, if we all gave the amount of intensity that we're giving to have to work from home to inequity, to poverty, to lack of early childhood education, to lack of, you know, and the dynamics, I don't know if you all have seen the articles around 
domestic violence inquiry, Mm -hmm. all of these things, like some employers don't think about any of that, right? But how can we take the lessons of how we had to pivot immediately as a business into make creating change for the betterment of all as we move forward? Go ahead, Priya. Thank you. Yeah. It's all valid points, Mike, just with all the different, different touch points, right? You know, I think what comes to mind for me is, and what I've been kind of reflecting on is, we're going to rewrite a lot of stereotypes, right? So what that translates into for me is, you know, prior to this, there were organizations that believed that you couldn't work virtually. I needed you down the hall because it was more efficient. And, you know, as we blame the millennials for everything, you know, the millennials did want to come into work and they wanted remote access and they wanted to work from other places. And, you know, all of those stereotypes that we have kind of gotten used to and comfortable with are being rewritten. And I think that is a big lesson if we are paying attention for organizations. Because, you know, when we think about our recruiting practices, if a candidate wants to know about certain things and they ask those questions, we tie them back to stereotypes and biases, right? Because you asked if you can work from home or can you do flex time, oh, you're not a hard worker. Kind of a negative stereotype, right? Or a bias. Now organizations have to recognize that, wait, in this moment of crisis, somehow we were still able to be productive, right? Like we were pivoting, we didn't have a choice. We kind of had to react very quickly. And so while we were reacting, we kind of made these quick decisions. We were putting it together with duct tape, as I'll say, right? We know duct tape's great for everything. So we're creating new policies from work at home, mailing laptops to people, figuring out how to stay connected with Zoom and other technologies with duct tape, temporary, because we are hoping this changes. Mm -hmm. But if we are truly being honest and we're paying attention, we know some of the things that we are doing right now may we may be doing a year from now. So Mike, to your point, I think organizations, once we have kind of come to some place of settlement, right? Like duct tape's been put, things seem secure enough. Now, what do we want to put in our foundation, right? Because we're changing the narrative as we are moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so we've changed under stress, but as the stress starts to pull back, are we going to go back to the old things? Or are we truly going to stick with some of the new behaviors, policies, procedures to see the value they're bringing to the table? Yeah. I think from Priya, you're, that is just great. I mean, I think from my perspective, one of the things that caught my attention very quickly is that when there is crisis, when a business is threatened with going out of business, they will do anything to remain in business. Yes. And what I recognize is that when you're faced with a problem that threatens your business like that, you will essentially do whatever you need to do to remain operational. I like to think that Paycor, and I know we are, is a very progressive company from a technology perspective. And I thought it was great. I mean, I give kudos to our leadership team on how they've been maneuvering through this, how quickly we got access to people, sent laptops home. We moved fast. And that's because we were nimble enough to be ready for that. I think what a lot of organizations need to be looking towards now is, okay, as soon as we look at diversity, equity, and inclusion as something critical to our business operations, we can move this quickly 
for change within those organizations. It's just a matter of has the problem risen to a level that we think it's as a detriment to the future of our organization. But we haven't necessarily gotten there in all organizations across the board. There are some that are leading the charge there. But it amazed me and actually gave me hope. It said, okay, well, as you mentioned, Priya, all those millennial stereotypes are kind of gone now because everyone's trying to move to a remote first type environment. It's funny, folks are trying to figure out how to get out of commercial real estate leases and try to get to a better place from a financial perspective that fast. So all the things that they were saying that millennials wanted, and it's not just millennials, but you know they lead the charge with one to work remotely. Well, all that's gone within a couple of weeks because of the problem that we all collectively solved. One last point on that. I think the great thing here is that the country, the states, the cities, because we saw it as a crisis, decided to work together on a problem. And we all see it as detriment to our economy and the future of the innovation of our country. And so everyone is following the different orders and guidelines in order to take our country to the next level. Well, we can do the same thing with DE&I. Well said. And if I could, Mike, I want to kind of just touch on it because I think, Eugene, what you said was so powerful. You know, when we talk about diversity, we know it's all those dimensions that make us who we are, right? The uniqueness and essence of it all. And then when we talk about the E, the equity, equity is really about giving people what they need, right? And then we add inclusion to that mix. To me, the way I'm looking at it in today's environment, right? We know what the word inclusive means, but I think in today's environment, what that's going to do is we're going to have to look at a broader definition of diversity, right? I mean, and I know some organizations already do that, but as we broaden the definition, points that you have made, Eugene, around access to the internet, parents working, not having maybe those foundations or even the privilege of having the foundations of your parents or your elders working with you on homework and education. You know, those are now being highlighted. So the key becomes, Mike, to your point about what do organizations need to do differently for inclusion? I think it's going to be first recognizing what for the diversity elements that came up in our environment, right? Mm-hmm. Do we have our employees struggle with childcare? Did they struggle with lack of access to technology or whatever that narrative might be, right? And then the equity piece will come in where we then figure out how do we make sure we give our employees what they need in that moment to whatever that new reality looks like. Because I think that's where organizations have an opportunity to really leverage the principles of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. Because now we are saying it's not just visual representation. Yeah. Visual matters, generational matters, all that stuff matters. But now what do you do in this new environment? Right. right? You're interviewing, you're engaging. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how organizations truly, as I'll say, take the duct tape off and then solder in all these policies and procedures. Absolutely. It's going to be tremendous amounts of learning. And we can learn now, right? Which is why we're having this conversation. Like there's so much we can all learn right now and identifying, create these open spaces for people to have feedback. We need to be communicating in a way that people know they can trust us to give us real-time feedback to share how we can better support them, right? So I'll give to the audience that's not aware of this, Centennial has had a remote workforce for 
probably 12 years. Team, we always have a place for people to convene, but we have team members who 95% of their work happens from their home office, right? And one of the things that I've learned by being an employer who has a very remote workforce is that most of the time, it doesn't matter when things get done. It's just that things get done, right? So you have an opportunity to provide flexibility, allow people to kind of work their schedule. If you hire people who you believe you should be hiring, you should also be able to trust those people to get things accomplished because they believe in the work that you're doing and they're trustworthy, right? So if you're in an environment that it's not, you have to have people on the production line and they have to physically be there to make work happen. But I think a lot of us are going to address that, well, you know, it's not only work from home that I need to be flexible, but it's the time that people get work done because, you know, I mean, I, schools, it's kind of cracking me up. Schools keep backing down the date, like they want to get out this Friday right? <laughs> versus going to the end of May or whenever it originally was scheduled for. But like my wife said, what happens when in August? we're still not ready to send kids back to school, right? So we have a business that my wife runs and we've been really having conversations around what does this mean for our co-working business, right? Because she operates that business and I might not be able to commit to going back. So I think understanding that flexibility and not just the flexibility to work from home, but the flexibility of when people get work done, it's a balancing act with everything that's The other dynamic is, Many people are experiencing that balancing act. So now it's giving people empathy to say, oh, that's what that means, right? And this is what I'm wrestling with. And there was an HR executive today, Nicole Roberts, who put on Facebook like, hey, the interview protocol for me as the VP of HR is you're allowed to have your puppies and your kitty cats in your (laughs) calls when you interview with me, right? So and I see that as a leader going first, saying, hey, this is all going to change. And this is that's probably going to lend itself to a more relaxed and more effective interviewing process, too. I wanted to touch on something you said real quick, Mike. And this is actually putting the onus back on leaders, managers, hiring managers. If you can't trust the people that you bring onto your team to get things done, that's not really on the employee. That's really on you right. and your selection as a leader on finding talent. And I'm not saying that you can't go through an interview process and be totally blindsided because I have over the years, but I've been, you know, gracious to have 90, 95% of the people that have worked for me to be great employees, but that's also through the leadership and what you pull out of people. And so I do think, because I am big on leadership, I do think that coming out of this, we're going to see a totally different level of leadership that's going to emerge from those that are leading organizations. One of the things, not to tout Paycor too much, but one of the things I am very, very proud of is that through this, our leaders have continued to ask how our employees are doing. They've sent out surveys to understand how can we help you? What resources do you need in order for you to do your job better? They're doing all the right things to strike the right tone, which is trickling down to us as leaders so that we're reaching out to our teams to understand what they need. And so I just think that we're going to really see some transformational leadership. It's a huge opportunity, especially for up and coming leaders, 
to figure out, okay, how do we take this new environment and become real change agents and really pull the best out of folks? I'm very excited about that. Yeah. yeah, I think, Eugene, what you just said is we're going from inclusive leaders to equitable leaders. Mm, yes. Right. I think that's a huge difference, right? Because I mm. can keep saying I'm inclusive, but I may not be equitable with what my team needs from me. Right. Mm -hmm. Here we're asking or personalizing it, which is not easy. Right. But I think to your point, it's so transformational. And if I could, to your point around trust, I think this is an opportunity for leaders and individuals to really recognize what their North Star is, right? Because if I didn't have trust, I didn't trust my people, or I don't trust anybody before I went into this pandemic, I'm not going to trust you during the pandemic. So I think for those of us who truly are in that mode of crisis, but still soul searching and reflective to really hone in on our leadership skills, I think it's critical to maybe take that time to say, you know, what is it and why is it that I don't trust either individuals or people on my team and that identify specific ways to fill that gap, mm -hmm. right? Because it's so much bigger than just now. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, the dynamics of what you both just shared, you know, we talk a lot about at the Talent Magnet Institute that a big part of helping people become ambassadors for you as an organization and us as leaders is you becoming an ambassador for them first, yeah. right? And this opportunity of their voice matters and their life matters. You know, we share a lot that with our audience that the Talent Magnet Institute is about helping leaders succeed. So we are targeting and trying to influence leadership, but succeed in relationships first then work, then community and life. And you can't be, and we always say, reframing success and leadership. You cannot be a good leader if you're not helping your people be great at all aspects of that. And to be frank, to help yourself be good at and great at all aspects of that, right? And we need to be an ambassador for all of the people who have decided to accept an offer inside our organization. And get very specific if there's, you know, a situation that's toxic, let's get better at the attract and recruit portion. And let's make sure that we take care of that situation in our organizations. But let's also build, provide trust to the people who we've decided to employ who are supporting us in our organization. And Gene, I love the comment that you made around leadership is going to change. And approach and Priya, what the examples that you're providing are probably, they always do to me, they're opening up my mind going, I didn't think about that, right? Wow. That's something we need to hold on to. Have we, has anyone in our organization thought about that? That's what makes leaders become better leaders, right? And makes humans become better humans when we start thinking about those examples. In terms of conversations and you know, one of the things that we love to do here is start conversations. I was talking to a leader this morning. We did a mental health workshop two weeks ago. We were surprised, pleasantly surprised, that a local publication just wrote a two-part article on this discussion. And it's a very transparent article because it was a very transparent webinar. So are you seeing more transparency come up? That was mental health. This is DE&I. Are you seeing more transparency and discussions happening across 
your communities on this particular topic and how we can advance the dialogue? I'll say from my perspective, I don't think, and with good reason, I don't think people's minds are trained on this right now. I think for a while, folks were just trying to figure out what's going on. Unfortunately, this is always one of those topics that is kind of done in the margins. Mm-hmm. For the last couple of weeks, folks have been trying to figure out you know, what to do. But I do think that since we're starting to adjust now, that this is kind of how things may be going forward. I think we are starting to get back to those types of conversations. Our ERG internally, it has started to meet again, to you know have online conversations, to figure out new ways for us to connect. I know you guys have probably all seen all the virtual happy hours and stuff that are going on now. So folks are finding ways to reconnect. But I mean, for the last 30 some odd days, I think folks were just focused on trying to do their job and protect their families. And I don't know if this has been a conversation. I'm not sure if it's been different from your perspective, Priya, but it's actually been very quiet around this topic. Yeah, I would echo that. I think, you know, to your point, at least for me, as I hear you say that, it ties in through the lenses of change and change management. Mm -hmm. Because in a moment of stress, when things change very rapidly and change is out of my control, so it's not the change I wanted, it's the change that's popped on me, it's natural for us to go back to our default. Mm. Each and every one of us has a default, right? And Eugene, you and I have joked about this before. It's how are you going to react when I wake you up at 2 a.m. and mm-hmm. ask you for something, right? Yep. Like that's your default place where you're not like thinking through all the other filters. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the last, I would say, week, the reason my experience is I've talked to leaders and talked to talk to a lot of my clients, you know, they were operating from that place of survival. I'm just moving my hands and legs as fast as I can right now, just to keep afloat, right? I'm exhausted. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to keep going. And my hope is, right? And let's be honest, at least for me, maybe I was naive. Six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, a lot of us thought this was just a temporary thing. Right? Like after six weeks, we're going to be good. We're just all going to move on to business as usual. We're realizing that, you know, we may move to something similar, but something different. But we know there's a different waiting to happen. So I think this is the time for organizations as now they're getting to a place of sense of sustainability, right? Or figuring out what our business looks like in this new environment. What do our margins look like? What did we do with our employees? How are we going to truly survive and thrive for the future? I think that's where it's time to kind of marry, as I would like to put, the conversation of diversity, equity, and inclusion with change management. I think they got to come together in this time because as we are rewriting policies and procedures, which is happening, it's the time to start looking at those through that equity lens. That's a great point. You know, we've been sharing a lot with our courageous leadership workshop that as we talk to leaders, We've all trained for a moment like this, right? We're supposed to be prepping ourselves, not just for the normal, but the challenge. And now's a time that leaders, there are real characteristics and ability should be showing up. I would also argue that our real core values are going to show up right now, right? So the comment about the margins and in integrating, if we're not integrating DEI, it really needs to be a core value. You know, it breaks my heart when I hear diversity officers I follow and I'm friends with many of them 
where their diversity and inclusion officers, you know, they, some have been let go. Some have lost all of their budget and aren't able to continue their initiatives. And it's like, really? Mm -hmm. That's sending a message that your organization, DE&I, is not a part of your core value system or you wouldn't give that up, right? And it wouldn't be viewed as just an initiative, which is the wrong way to think about it. So, you know, a lot of DEI officers will share that if you don't have a budget and if you don't have direct access to the CEO, it's smoke and mirrors to a degree. And I'm sure there are some where it's not, right? So I don't want to put a blanket statement on everyone. But now is a time to reflect in the last eight weeks what happened to that conversation? How are we advancing the importance of, and I love Priya, now is a great time to implement change management into that, because if you're not doing that, now is a time to change that behavior across our entire organization. This is part of the leveling up that Centennial sees as a search firm every time we come out of a major downturn, 2001, 2008. You know, my dad shares about the ones in the 80s and the early 90s that every time we come out of one of these, there are dramatic leadership changes because of learnings that came out of the experience. And to be frank, I'll go so boldly to say, if you completely ignored diversity, equity, and inclusion during this time and you weren't thinking about this as a major core, it might be time to change leaders inside your organization who it's innate to their belief system that is a core value to make our organization more equitable and inclusive for all. Priya, when we come into the discussion you shared about leaders may be inclusive, but not equitable. You mentioned this earlier. Could we unpack that a little bit? And can you share some examples of what a leader can do to change their own behavior in that particular topic? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, at least in my experience, sometimes when we define inclusion, it almost feels like, you know, inclusion is everything goes. So there's two different ways people react when I use the word inclusion, right? So inclusion is not everything goes. Inclusion basically means you're first acknowledging and recognizing that differences exist. And then you're trying to figure out how do you get all the voices that are around you to provide their input, to provide their perspective. Right. Well, what can happen in inclusion sometimes is because we as human beings are constantly looking for one size fits all, because it's so easy, right? If one size fits all, then I don't have to stop and think. I'm going back to my default. Even while saying we're being inclusive, we may be kind of applying that, treating everybody the same. Okay. When we talk about equity, equity very specifically looks at you know, recognizing that diversity exists and we want to be inclusive, but I don't think we can have inclusion without equity, right? So the equitable component for me comes in is when I take the time enough to understand your difference. Because if I don't even take the time to understand your difference and every time you tell me about your difference, I'm going, yeah, but Mike, yeah, but Mike, right? I'm trying to justify to you why what you're saying is not accurate or true for me. So equity really is recognizing that someone else's worldview is their worldview, is their experience, and then identifying ways on how we can collectively move forward. And so that's where I think there's a little bit of separation. I can be an inclusive leader, but I may not always be equitable. 
Whereas if I'm focusing on equity and providing my team members what they need from me in the moment, then I'm going to make sure that I can pull my team together by providing the individual support maybe that they need that's different. To your point earlier, example of does it matter if I get my work done between eight to five, does it hinder others, right? If you're being equitable, you may say something like, well, Priya, I need your report by 8 a.m. tomorrow. I don't care when you get it done, right? That's being equitable. And, and the inclusive piece comes in is recognizing that if I need to have my report to you by 8 a.m., if I don't have it to you in by 8 a.m., how does that impact the rest of the collective team? So that's, it goes into the details of it. Are we being prescriptive? be inclusive while being prescriptive. At least that's what I believe. I could be completely wrong, but that's my belief. Equitable is, I got to keep you in mind. You know what? I would love to just double click on that because (laughs) as you were talking, I thought about something that inclusive leadership is more broad. Equitable leadership is more individual. So if you're really going to be an equitable leader, it takes more effort. You have to basically one-on-one really understand, okay, how do I manage you? How do I lead you? How do I get the best out of you? And that's also, I was even thinking, that's going to attack some of our policies. You know, we put out blanket policies in an organization. I mean, it's funny because earlier today, I saw an email update about us reviewing our remote work from home policy. We're getting much deeper down into what goes into those policies because we're trying to be equitable and think about all the different dynamics that folks are dealing with. So that may even turn into a full topic now where equitable leadership is really individual. It's getting deeper into the details of how do I get the best out of this person, which goes into all those details of, okay, maybe you're not eight to five. Maybe you wake up five in the morning, you're an early bird. You work from Five to eight, you take a couple hours off, but then you're working until like 8 p.m. or 9 p.m., but you're still getting your work done and you're one of the top performers. I mean, I think equitable leadership is really going to get deep into the details. I love that. Hey, we coin phrased it here. <laughs> That's right. It's being quoted on the uh, Talent Management Institute podcast. There we go. That's really, really powerful. Eugene, in your role of purchasing, mm-hmm. how do you? view this topic regarding equitable inside that in terms of your partners and leadership. Give us some of your philosophies there. Yeah. So personally, I'm all about competitive bidding, right? I know that some organizations, they allow folks to do business with folks that they know and stuff all the time, but I really am a huge fan of competitively bidding. Of course, depending on the amount of spend, you know, you can't bid everything out. But even in that, you know, some of the things that we're looking at when we're looking at new vendors is, okay, well, what is their minority footprint? Are they a women-owned business? Are they a minority-owned business? To diversify our spend. Now, I came into PayCorp a couple years ago and had to build up the procurement department from the ground up. And so we're getting to a supplier diversity program. That is a goal of mine. But I will say this, I've been in procurement my entire career. Every organization I've been at has talked about having a supplier diversity program, but we never seem to get to it. We talk about it, but it's not like we we don't get to it. I intend to get to it because that is how you really, really spread out the wealth. You spread out the opportunity. But it's just a challenge because there's a lot of folks in different sectors that 
have a chokehold on the services or a chokehold on the products and such. And so it's tough to kind of break away. You have to be intentional in that space. And that's what I'm learning as a procurement professional that sometimes it's hard to find suppliers in that space that may give you the opportunity for a diverse supplier force. It's tough. It's hard to find. And so I do think that there needs to be more of push down from a regulation perspective that helps organizations. And I know I'm a business leader and we don't want to talk about regulation, but a lot of times you don't get that sweeping change unless you do those types of things because organizations are going to do what they want with their money. So I'm a fan of it. I'm huge on supplier diversity, but getting it enacted, I've been in this my entire career and it's just tough to do. And that in and of itself is a topic. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Make that a easier to accomplish, identify, finding the partners in that space is very difficult to drive supplier diversity and to do it well. Yeah. One last point on that. The reason why it's so difficult, which COVID-19 is going to help us with, I'm excited about this, is because we move so fast in business, because we don't plan the way that we should, because we need more time to do it. So if we slow down and we plan better as business leaders, we can take the time to find the right resources. So COVID-19 has showed us that we need to slow down, not just in our business lives, but in our personal lives. And that allows us to think, we talk about this all the time, Priya, about the importance of slowing down. And that's when we'll be more productive and be able to do things like this. Yeah, absolutely. Priya, as we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion regarding being intentional in our recruitment, attraction, selection processes. Any insights of how you feel like COVID-19 is preparing us for that or some tips that the audience might be able to gain from the discussion relating to being more intentional in our recruiting and attraction processes? You know, I think to Eugene's point, COVID-19 has brought us a lot of challenges. But I think at the same time, it's highlighted some of the changes that a lot of organizations and maybe as individuals making this holistic that we knew that we needed to be focused on slowing down, right? And Eugene and I have had hours and hours of conversation around that as leaders and the value of that. I think the biggest piece is going to be, as I said earlier, as we rewrite the stereotypes. Because when we think about recruiting and we think about the processes organizations may already have in place the processes that now we have shifted and duct taped to be able to continue with recruiting if we still need to hire people. I think the big piece is going to be to recognize how are we making decisions? As we know from a recruiting perspective and and tying biases to all of this, you know, less than seven seconds where we could be making 11 assumptions about each other, right? And that's when I'm in person, when I've shaken your hand and I'm seeing you two feet away from me. Now we're adding this layer of technology. Right? So if I'm in a Zoom interview like this right now and you see my background, I see your background, we're seeing each other's inner space, as I like to call it. What stereotypes, what triggers are coming up that you're not even recognizing that will now start to impact how you're looking at your potential candidates? Mm-hmm. Right? So to me, that's where I go back to as leaders. I think it's so critical to understand our own foundation and our own benchmark 
I'll be silly for a second, right? You see a unicorn, if you can see the unicorn behind me, you may have a whole different worldview about what a unicorn is or is not, right? I will argue and tell you it's real, but that's me and I own it. But again, as I'm being silly, you get it, right? Like, I'm not gonna let the elephants in the room, but how many of us will get on a Zoom interview and make decisions very quickly? about what we are now seeing in spaces. So it's leaders, I think it's critical to take stock of their own values, their own beliefs, their own biases, right? Like what is their trigger? How is that coming into play? We're on a Zoom call. So now how does extroversion, introversion come into play? I'm on a Zoom call, my hands still have to move, folks. I cannot talk if my hands don't move. But I'm managing that, right? I'm doing better than when you see me in person. Not everybody is going to master that right away when they're interviewing, right? So I think that's the challenge for recruiting team members now and for leaders. How do you take that into stock and not focus on the fact that somebody didn't seem as polished now because it was a Zoom interview, but they could have seemed more polished if they were in the room with me? That's why I go back to it's the seeking to understand what is same in my world today as it pertains to recruiting, what is different, and then what do I do with the difference? Because if I don't figure out what to do with the difference, then I can just judge it or I can ignore it. Yeah. And so I think that's an opportunity for organizations right now. And not to mention, I'll kind of leave us with this, if we are looking at this whole concept of working remotely, we could be recruiting across the globe. We don't have to now be looking for candidates in our Cincinnati region Absolutely. or our Northern Kentucky region or Ohio or whatever state we're in. You could be recruiting across you know the 50 states if that's the case mm-hmm. so broadening that and saying wow that's an opportunity how do we get the right talent yeah a little bit of a soapbox i know but that's just kind of you know my little passion coming out yeah that's good it's good to let that out <laughs> i'll drop one quick thing on that you mentioned the biases and stuff that we can form so quickly i wrote about this stat in the book i put out last year it talks about 33 percent of hiring managers know if they're going to hire you, I believe it's within the first 90 seconds of Mm -hmm. a conversation. Mm -hmm. So you're exactly right. Now the Zoom background is going to speak for us. And that's crazy to think about it, but those different types of things are gonna really affect the hiring process. And so I think I saw in a comment that everyone may not have access to Zoom and different Mm -hmm. things that we're gonna have to think through and who's to say we're going to be using zoom you know they just have 40 percent of the market share they're the reason why you know most people are using it but there's different things that we're going to have to think about yeah to get deeper into you know getting the right talent later on this year i'm supposed to be speaking at the talent acquisition evolution conference yeah. and i'm talking about something that i don't want to let the cat out of the bag but i did anyway the topic i'm talking about is going to be so great it's talking about abandoning the culture fit Mm-hmm. You know how you hear all the time, like someone will get hired or they won't get hired. And like, oh, they just weren't a great culture fit or oh, they didn't fit our culture. Culture is completely changing now. Mm-hmm. The office culture. I mean, this is my office now. I spend so much time in, in this area now. So companies are really going to start thinking about, OK, maybe we can just take a chance at hiring someone that doesn't fit our model. We should be doing that anyway. Getting away from the culture fit 
is really going to help diversity, equity, and inclusion as we're thinking of actually hiring someone totally opposite potentially to what we would normally look for and getting a totally different diversity of thought. So I definitely think we're going to see that happen as well since we can recruit across the globe. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I love that, Eugene, because the conversations to that point that I've been having with clients is about culture ad. Mm, I right? love it. Like what diversity does this person bring that doesn't fit, we'll call it, but mm-hmm. can add to our environment? I like that. Right. But then the key becomes we still have to figure out what to do with that difference. Mm-hmm. Because at least in my corporate experience and even with clients, we want to recruit for diversity. We bring diversity in, but then we tell you to act like the majority. Yep. Right. Like I loved your idea, Eugene. I'm so excited about it. But you know what? Just sit chill for a while, right? Yeah. Like we don't yeah. have time for your difference right now. You mm-hmm. need to act like everybody else in the room. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the piece to that's your good. point that there's another opportunity area as we think, how do we add the value and add culture, add to this conversation? Yeah, I love that. So as we look at navigating through this, taking these lessons learned, taking these insights What should I, as an organization listening, a leader listening, what should my first step be? I'm not even going to say post-crisis, post-COVID. I'm going to say post this conversation that we can be doing to make our organization prove to our people that DEI is a part of our core values and is a key priority and a foundation that everything else sits on, not a window treatment. Yeah. I would say this quickly. I think the first thing that any leader should be doing right now is talking to their employees. Mm-hmm. And by talking, not sending out a survey just because annually we want to get a good mark for top places to work. Put together some tough questions. Send out you know, a survey to really understand what the organization is thinking and feeling and then pull in some questions about DE&I. We're not doing this survey so that we can get high marks. This is so that we can really understand what's going on. Our company put out a survey to really get deep into how folks want to work from home. Do you want to be 100%? you want to be 50%? Do you want to come into the office? Like they asked all kinds of questions as they're working through this new policy. I think this is the time for leaders to really have a serious conversation with their employees to understand what they're thinking and feeling. Because I feel like right now, because we know that change is going on, I think employees are more apt to let you know what they really are thinking and feeling because they know you have to change. You know, a lot of times folks don't want to raise their voice because they're not sure if change is going to happen. But right now they know you have to change. <laughs> so I think now is the time to get some answers from the employees. Well said. Well said. You know, so I think the big piece, at least from my perspective, I think as we think about organizations, I think the first big question for a lot of organization is, is really, do you even value diversity, equity, and inclusion? It's truly the value. Mike, to your, the point of your question, right, is it when you're window dressing? To me, it really, how does diversity, equity, and inclusion tie to what we do? And how does it impact our business? And I'll be transparent. I have been doing diversity and equity for 20 plus years, and I don't want to talk about the business case. I just don't, because if, if we are in an, or, in an environment where I have to justify to you that there's value in diversity, that's a whole nother conversation. Because I like to compare it to when we think about our financial portfolios. I know that's a sad topic right now, but still, right? If we think about 401ks, well, we all know to diversify. 
Why do we diversify? Well, because we want to spread it out. And there's some pros and cons to where we even decide to put our hard-earned money. I don't think when we think through the lenses of business, I need to justify to you why you need diversity. If you believe diversity of foods, I'm silly. You guys both know me enough to know that. If you don't eat the same food all day, every day, because you think your body needs different nutrients, diversity is embedded in everything we do. We just like often here now it's become a code for it's about race, it's about underrepresented groups or gender, whatever it might be. Diversity just is around us and we need it, right? We need it in different places more. I think organizations really need to take a hard look at what they're doing and the why. Going back to Eugene's point around supplier diversity. Supplier diversity is not the end of the world. I mean, it's easy to implement if you really want to implement it. It's, to your point, around if it's window dressing, then we don't have the time, we don't have the resources, we can't find the right people. I think if this is tied to our values and you know, the future of work, I think, is going to mandate, I hate using that word, but I think it's going to mandate diversity across all dimensions of diversity, mm -hmm. right? It's going to mandate that we do things differently. And we've seen a pandemic is forcing us out of our comfort zones and we are going to create a new comfort zone. But the question is, is your new comfort zone going to be the same as your old comfort zone? Mm. That is what is going to, again, separate leaders from great leaders. Some leaders are going to come out of this unscathed. They will not change a thing. Mm -hmm. Other leaders will come out of this and they will pivot, whether it's through the lenses of inclusion, leadership style. And I think that's where, it, to me, it takes from organizational values to personal values, right? Like growth mindset or, or fixed mindset. So sorry. I, yeah, I can just go on my soapbox. I'm feeling a little too passionate today. Oh, it's good. Keep it going. Good. You put me around with Eugene. It's <laughs> over, Mike. <laughs> that's right. That's why we did this pairing. Right? Isn't that why? <laughs> Again, this is the soapbox that we want to be on. These are the kinds of platforms of conversation that we need people to connect to that I love. Do you really believe this at your core? If you say, no, I actually think it's a waste and I'm just on here to get credit or certification credit or what have you, we would recommend that you go and pause and slow down and really reflect on that's a heart problem right mm -hmm. if you say yes and i wish i could embed this how do i embed this how do i challenge people and there may be people in your wake that don't believe what you believe but we need to influence them and show them why and help them understand and you know so we want people to come close to tough content right and really personally reflect on, do I believe that? Do I believe that every voice in my organization is meaningful, right? And that everyone has the opportunity and that everyone, you know, we talk a lot about bringing out the greater good of all people. Mm -hmm. That's the role of a leader who believes in being a talent magnet and being a leader worth leading and worth following, worth engaging with. And these are the kinds of people we want to identify, connect with, continue to educate. That gains so much value out of discussions like this that we're having with Priya and Eugene. And we thank you for all of those listening that have tuned in live, that are creating conversation around this, that are doing your own part 
to take value from dialogues like this and bring this into your world. This is what we're trying to do and how we're great impact. Having conversations that you can open up and let that passion out is critically important to be able to further prepare yourself for the battle of what it has been like. And we hope if we're able to put the right content in here, the right attributes, the right challenges, the right difficult conversations now, we can be prepared tomorrow as we walk into the workplace and start answering, as Eugene said, these policy questions. Like, this is the beauty of this time. We are addressing policies, right? And we talk a lot about policies as what holds, in many ways, people and our nation and our companies back, right? So take those policies, wad them up, throw them out. Let's start over in a way that puts our people first. And when I say our people, I mean our people. I mean all of our people, not just benefits that benefit one group or the other. That listen to, get that feedback, ask the tough questions, and embody those and embrace that feedback into your policies that'll stand for a length of period to come, right? Because many policies, to be frank, and we all three know this, that are on this interview, haven't been changed for 26 years, or 19 years, or 10 years, or whatever we started, right? There's probably some of you listening that go, well, my family businesses has policies that were in place 127 years ago. You know, so <laughs> throw them out. Nobody's going to discount you now that we need to look at our policies, right? They're going to say, you're right, we should do that. And make sure that this is the heart and the intent that you're coming into this with, the type of content that we're addressing from this conversation. Now, I was going to say, it's so well said. And to your point, at the core of it, it is all about if organizations are going to survive or they're going to thrive or if there's going to be a demise. I mean, that's just what it boils down to. (laughs) That should be a t-shirt. I like that. That's good. Yeah, that's great. We're going to make sure we have that as a key part of this conversation. (laughs) I just made it up. (laughs) We love asking the question. Priya, I'm going to start with you. Okay. There is one thing that you can leave the listener with right now. What one challenge do you want to encourage them post this conversation to take into action or to reflect on? For me, I think what's going to be critical for each and every one of us is to really take the time to understand where have you been operating from within yourself the last six to eight weeks. And what I mean by that is, you know, what has been really informing your behavior? What are your values? What are your behaviors? What are things that you have been holding on to that has helped you as a leader lead your team? And then how has that maybe hindered you in certain ways? Because that is a reflective point that is critical because often as leaders, we are worried about leading. So I'm not going to focus on where my behavior is coming from. I'm just going to worry about how to pull my team together. So I would encourage every single individual that, that comes to this session to really take hard stock on what has been driving your behavior, what's worked for you, what hasn't worked for you, and what are some opportunity areas. And I think that'll answer a lot of questions holistically for individuals. That's wonderful. Priya, thank you for that. 
Eugene, I'll turn to you now. What is one thing that you can leave those listening with as we walk out of this dialogue? Sure. Yeah, well, I think I'm an observer. I watch a lot of people. People watching is great. And one of the things I've noticed throughout this situation is that people are scared. People are a helter-skelter right now. They don't really know what to do. And there's one concept that I kind of live by, especially in the professional atmosphere. And I believe in what I call bringing my light to work. In this scenario, you need folks that are positive, they're optimistic, and that have energy about the issues that we're facing. So this is a tough situation. DE&I is a tough conversation. So bring energy to it. Bring optimism to it. It's already tough enough to address. COVID-19 and all these changes are already tough enough to address. So we might as well do it with a smile on our face. We might as well do it with some optimism and some energy because we're going to have to do it anyway. You know, being a sourpuss about things is not going to make it better. So I think as we're addressing this, especially as leaders, if you're leading an organization, go out of your way to be optimistic. Go out of your way to be positive about the challenges that you have and your teams and your organizations will follow. Excellent. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you both, Priya, Eugene. I so appreciate you making the time for this conversation and for providing this insightful content, the encouragement, and the, you know, a little bit of hopefully some people feel rattled after leaving this discussion. That's a good thing, right? So to those listening and tuning in, thank you. Thank you for being a leader who cares enough to listen to a conversation like this. Our encouragement to you is to provide your questions, your thoughts, even your responses. I know just from us advertising this particular event, we had people providing some really interesting insights, right? And those are bold leaders who are willing to put it out there and begin a conversation. And we encourage you all to really think about, is this just an action or is it a core value? Is it a part of who we are in the foundation that we're building from or a window treatment that we're adding to the building at the end, right? And we're here to help you and help you facilitate this to really embody the opportunity we all have to bring out the best of all people. So thank you for tuning in. We look forward to our next conversation and we hope you all have a blessed rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook please communicate by using hashtag talent magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, 
produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.